Thank you for shining the light of your son, Jesus Christ, into the darkness of this world. And we thank you, Father, that you do that by your spirit and through your word every time we open it up. So would you please shine your light now into this place and into our hearts and our souls and our minds and our families and in this church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It is so good to be back with you. Uh, I missed you so much the last few weeks. I missed worshiping with you, and it is such a delight to be back home. Um, thank you for your uh, prayers for me over the last few weeks. Thank you for your notes, uh, your emails, your cards that you've sent. It's been so helpful, truly, truly helpful. And many of you have been checking in on me and asking how I'm doing. You're praying for me. It got out that I, it was my turn to have COVID a few weeks ago, so um, I'm feeling fine. But I've realized a wonderful side effect of COVID, which is I can just blame everything on COVID brain now. So... <laughs> If I'm in a meeting and I say something that doesn't make any sense, I can say, that's COVID brain. Um, if I call a child by the wrong name, it's COVID brain. And if this sermon this morning doesn't quite keep your attention, well, it's COVID brain. So um, it is such an honor, truly, to open God's word with you anytime, and especially this morning as we begin a new sermon series in the book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible in front of you or with you, uh, I invite you to turn there with me. We'll be turning to this book uh, pretty much every Sunday between now and the start of Advent in late November. Then we'll take a little break for the seasons of Advent and Christmas and then pick right back up in Philippians in mid-January all the way through to mid-March. And I'd like for us to jump right in this morning and not waste any time. So let me just take one minute at the beginning of this series, beginning of this book, to say a few things this to help us all get our bearings. And the first is the simplest, which is the book of Philippians is a letter written by Paul, by the Apostle Paul. We know this because of verse 1, which says this, Paul and Timothy. So that means Paul is dictating the letter out loud, and Timothy is helping him by writing it down. So Paul and Timothy, they identify themselves as servants of Christ Jesus. Now here's the audience to the saints in Christ Jesus and their location who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. So Paul writes it, and he writes it to the Christians in Philippi. Philippi was an important city. It was a notable city. It was a Roman colony. It was also a city in the throes of cultural and religious and political revolution, a lot like our city. And third, Paul loves these people. And this letter is dripping with Paul's love for them, his heart for them. He planted the church there. And you can read about that in the book of Acts. They're his friends, and his heart longs for them to do well. His heart longs for them to be strong, for them to grow. Lastly, Paul writes this letter to these people that he loves from prison. He writes it in chains, and he writes it towards the end of his life. We'll notice as we go through this letter that Paul isn't writing to correct any major wrong doctrine. Paul isn't calling for anyone to be disciplined Paul isn't yelling at anybody in this letter. Paul is encouraging them in the essentials. And he's writing them because he knows, he's very well aware of what's happened in this congregation in Philippi. And he knows that they've experienced some trouble. And he knows that they will experience some trouble and suffering. And he wants to encourage them. And so, with all that in mind, and with a blank 
canvas, literally a blank canvas, stretched in front of him under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what does this leader in the church decide he wants to say to the church? How will this shepherd encourage his sheep? Where will this leader choose, of all places that he could, where will he choose to point this congregation? What principles, what essentials, what important reminders will he draw their attention to? How is he going to equip these people to deal with the inevitable trouble and inevitable suffering? The million-dollar question on everybody's mind is, what is this guy's vision? And the book of Philippians will show us. Could there be... Could there be one singular vision that can hold a church together? One vision that can encourage a people who need it, that can encourage a people to withstand suffering, that can give people perspective. Could there be one singular vision that could be so clear and so compelling, so unifying that an imperfect church located in a notable city, could stand strong and stand together and stand firm for the long haul and for the purposes and for the mission of God. Could there be one singular vision that could accomplish all of this? Yes. And the book of Philippians will show us that all we need, all we need, all the encouragement, all the unity, all the strength, all the perspective, all the clarity of vision, that the church needs is found in nothing more and in nothing less than the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, amen. You can amen that, that's okay. The gospel, we'll see this. The gospel is the only thing that works. The gospel is the only foundation that lasts. The gospel is the only thing that's strong enough to hold us together that's powerful enough to propel us outwards, and the gospel is the only thing that's true enough to give us joy in suffering, to give us hope in life and in the face of death. And the gospel is the only thing that can give us Christ himself now and into eternity. And that's Paul's big idea here in Philippians, that all you need, you personally, individually, you with your name, all you need individually And all we need, corporately, us, together, as the church, all you need and all we need, we have. We have been given all we need in Christ, and we can build our lives on this truth, and we can build a church on this truth. So take a deep breath. Whatever trials we've experienced whatever crises we've lived through, whatever shakings, whatever earthquakes, whatever dark seasons, we can take a deep breath and we can breathe in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because this is where we place our hope and this is where we place our trust. This is our rock. This is our foundation. We can build our lives on this. And we can build a church on this. So first things first, Jesus is enough. And even better than that, Jesus is more than enough. And this good news, this gospel that has been given to us is to be and is to remain forever 
our singular and our corporate vision. We never move past this. We never grow up and move on from this. We just go deeper into this. So that's why I invite us as a church to hear, to receive, to live into, and to live out God's message to us through his word in the book of Philippians. We're going to take our time going through this letter during this sermon series. We don't need to hurry through it. We have no reason to hurry. <laughs> so there'll be some weeks that we spend looking at a longer chunk of verses, and some weeks, like next week, we'll look at just three or four verses. And the image that I've had over the last few weeks as I've been praying and preparing for uh, this sermon series, the image that I've had has been the image of a gentle rain falling upon us all as a church. Maybe that's why, in God's providence, he decided to rain uh, on us today. And I've pictured this room in my mind, and the rows of you sitting here, shoulder uh, to shoulder, side by side. And I've pictured a rain, a spiritual rain, falling on us. And I think it's a rain for three reasons. And the first has been to just refresh us where we're dry. And the second has been just to wash away whatever needs to be washed away. God's word is powerful enough to do that. And the third reason is to fall on all of us at the same time, like a blanket, corporately together. So today, let's let the rain of God's word fall upon us. And I want us to look at just the first eight verses then of this chapter that Stephen read to us. And the first thing we see in this chapter is what's produced by the gospel. Look with me at verse two, just by itself, only one verse, verse two. Paul writes, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just one verse that's packed full of the gospel. We may read this and go, oh, this is kind of Paul's filler greeting. He starts off literally every letter that he writes like this, uh, grace to you and peace, or sometimes he's, he's, uh, he's saving himself some, some ink and he just says, grace and peace. But this one, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we might read this and think, well, Paul's just saying hello. Uh, we can kind of get through this. No, this is a summation of Paul's entire theology. Grace and peace from where? Well, it's not from us. It's not self-originating. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from this community. Grace and peace from where? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the gospel produces. It produces something in ourselves that is not in ourselves. It comes from God through Jesus Christ. And it produces this in and amongst a people who were once enemies of God and a people who were once enemies with each other. Where sin once reigned, where fighting once reigned, where there was opposition, now a gift, now a miracle, now a supernatural intervention in a person, now a supernatural intervention in a community. Now guess what comes where there was once darkness and death and separation and hostility and fighting and opposition. Now there's grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now in verses three and four, we see more of what the gospel produces. Paul says, I thank my God. So now there's thankfulness in a person and in a community. In all my remembrance of you. Now there's remembrance in every, always in every prayer of mine. Now there's prayerfulness in a person and in a community. For you all making my prayer with joy. Now there's joy in a person's heart and in a community. This is all from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask us a question then in light of this as a church. What is the origin? What is the origin of our affection for one another? 
What is the source of our enjoyment of one another's company? How is it that we, a bunch of different people, from different walks of life, with different opinions and perspectives, how is it that we come to love each other, to like each other? On one level, we think it's kind of obvious. We kind of have certain things in common. We come to the same church. We kind of have the same convictions. We all have a love for sizzling fajitas. We know that. That's established. That's a fact. It's rock-solid fact of this congregation, apparently. I didn't know that until a few months ago. But there has to be another level. There has to be another level. Because for the church, for the people of God, our affection, our enjoyment, our love for one another has to have a, a deeper origin than liking the same things or thinking the same way. Because that would only get us so far as a church. That would only get us through easy times. And that's not good enough. And so that's why the gospel is good news for the community. Because it produces grace and peace and thankfulness and remembrance and prayerfulness and joy. So right out of the gate here, Paul is not wasting any time. We're just five verses in. Paul is drawing our attention that the gospel produces the attributes of Jesus Christ within a community. So this isn't niceness. It's not, we're not just saying, well, Tro is such a nice church. Those are such nice people. They're so welcoming. They're so hospitable. No, what, what we're saying is God has produced in us the attributes of his son that are our love, our kindness, our tenderness, our affection, our joyfulness, our prayerfulness. They aren't attributes of us. They're attributes of Jesus himself. And they came from him. That's what Paul is saying. This is genuine gospel fruit. It's produced by the gospel. Now we go even further and we see a partnership in the gospel. Partnership here. Paul says in verse 3, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. And now verse 5. Because of, here we go, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership in the gospel. In other words, we're held together. We're tied together. Literally, we're stuck together by the gospel. Different people, different backgrounds, different walks of life, different careers, different perspective from different tribes and tongues who like different music, who have different opinions, and who are all correct, by the way, about those opinions. Different people somehow adopted by the Father through Jesus the Son, filled with the Holy Spirit and made into brothers and sisters in the gospel. He makes us into a family. And it's not because of our church membership. It's not because of a physical location. It's not because of a decision we've made. It's, a, it's because of a decision that God has made to adopt us and graft us into the gospel. He thanks them for their partnership in the gospel, not in an organization, not your partnership in the building of a church in Philippi, not your partnership in my, my priorities. No, I thank God because of your partnership in what? In the gospel from the first day until now. One of my New Testament professors made me laugh one time when he said, you could sum up what Paul is saying many times in his letters in different places by quoting the ancient Christian hymn. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. 
That's what Paul is basically saying and reminding the church of here in verse 5. He's saying, I thank my God for you. I praise my God for you because we're children of the same Father. So I'm filled with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm in prison, but somehow we're held together. We're separated from a considerable distance, but somehow we're held together. How is that possible? How can we be held together across geography? How can we be held together when he's in prison? Because we're held together by Jesus. We're held together by Jesus. And this is gospel partnership. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, left foot. <laughs> we should totally sing that song right now. But... So we're only five verses in and look at the treasures of the gospel. Look at what the gospel produces and our partnership in it. And now in verse 6, this is such good news because Paul tells us that we are preserved by the gospel. You're preserved by the gospel. Paul writes, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So very briefly, I would like to draw out a corporate implication of this verse for us. This verse has very personal implications, yes, and that's how we often apply this verse, and that's great, that's good, it's wonderful. But this verse applies corporately to the church as well. Jesus initiates his work in us, and Jesus finishes his work in us. Jesus sees it through. So don't worry, don't fret. Again, we can take a deep breath because Jesus is in control of this whole thing. Jesus is Lord, and he will accomplish in us and through us everything he intends to. This isn't arrogance talking. This isn't some kind of naive new rector talking. This is the gospel talking. This is a promise. This is a certainty. It's a matter of fact. I am sure of this, Paul declares. Think about it this way for a minute with me. If at any time in the last three years... God had decided that his purposes for this church were through. Or if at any time in the last three years, God had decided that Truro had accomplished all that it was meant to accomplish. Or if at any time in the last three years, God had decided it was just time for Truro to die a natural death. Didn't God have many opportunities to show us that in the last three years? God could have chosen at any time and during any of our recent crises in the last few years to land the Turo plane, but he didn't. Look around you. We're still here. We're still alive. We're still breathing. Our heart is still beating. We're still singing. We're still preaching the gospel. God is not finished with this church. God has a purpose for us. Amen? God has a mission for us. He has a reason we're still here. He has lost sheep to save. He has a gospel to proclaim. He has a word to be preached. And I am convinced, because I've read Philippians, that the God who has sustained us this far is the same God who is going to see us through. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Praise God. We are preserved by the gospel. We're preserved by the gospel. Finally, as we close, we see we are partakers of the gospel. The gospel is not just a doctrine. The gospel is not just a ground we stand on. The gospel is our oxygen. 
The gospel is our bloodstream. The gospel is the fountain from which we drink. Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. And here's the key. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So much of what Paul describes in this letter makes no human sense. Nothing. It doesn't make any sense. He's, he's joyful in suffering. He's, he's saying he's partners with these people across the distance and from behind bars at the end of his life. He's encouraged, and he's encouraging them in the face of constant opposition. Though these attributes make very little human sense, they make all the gospel sense in the world because these attributes, again, are drawn from the gospel. Paul says it's right for him to feel this way, full of confidence and affection for his people, because you are all partakers with me of grace. Let me apply this to us then. Simply, it's simple. We all belong to Jesus. We're all supplied by the same supply. We're all redeemed by the same redeemer. We're all saved by the same savior. So then it's natural, Paul is saying. It's right for us then. It's natural. It's right for us to hold one another in our hearts. Paul says it's only natural for him to do this because we're all partakers of grace. Again, this points to the wonderful reality that our source and our sustenance is, is located in something outside of ourselves, both for us as individuals and as a community. So this means we can say to one another, individually and corporately, I love you, but I don't love you with my love. I love you with the love of Christ Jesus. And that's a good thing. You don't want me to love you with my love. <laughs> and I don't want you to love me with your love because that will only last about as long as however this honeymoon period is supposed to last. <laughs> but when our love for one another and our affection for one another is supplied and is secure in Jesus Christ himself, now we're living out the gospel. Now we have a love and affection for one another that has Jesus at its core. So a quick recap here. Just in these first eight verses alone, we see what's produced by the gospel. We're partners in the gospel. We're preserved by the gospel. And we're partakers of the gospel. And that's only eight verses. They sure do pack a gospel punch, I think. And it's that the gospel of Jesus Christ never fails. That's what Paul is saying to the church. It never fails. It never fails. And that was true for the church in Philippi. And it's true for Truro Church in Fairfax. The good news that was good news for them yesterday is the same good news that's good news for us today, and that will be good news for us tomorrow. I was thinking that our lives, our lives often, very often, feel like massive jigsaw puzzles with thousands of little pieces, and we spend our days and our weeks and our months often frantically trying to put the pieces into place. And just when we think we've got it to make sense, something changes and it doesn't make sense anymore. And churches feel like this. This church can feel like this, like a massive jigsaw puzzle with all these pieces. And what do we do? Do we start on the edges or on the middle? Is this piece inside out, upside down? What do we do? And Jesus says to us something simple, something counterintuitive, especially for us in Northern Virginia. He says to us, stop. Stop it. Stop being so frantic. Put that piece down. 
And he says something then even more counterintuitive. As he says, look at my face. Jesus says, just keep looking at my face. And the more we keep looking at Jesus and less at what we're doing, the more things start to fall into place. And we feel Jesus, we sense him taking our hand and putting the pieces in place. And he says, just keep looking at my face. That's the simple call of the book of Philippians, to simply look at Jesus, nothing more and nothing less. Now, this is my first sermon to you as your new rector. And it is the prayer and the desire of my heart that God would allow me to serve you in this role for a long time. I'm 38 years old, and I would love to be still pastoring here 30 years from now. Lord willing, you will see me grow old in front of you. One of these days, you'll start to see me lose my hair. I don't know why you laughed so hard at that joke. <laughs> now, one of these days, only God knows when, I'll preach my last sermon here. And all I want to do between now and then, with God's help and your prayers and with the help of the Holy Spirit, is faithfully, albeit imperfectly, shepherd you and love you. And the best way I know how to do that is to keep pointing you and pointing myself to Jesus. So first things first. First things first. A vision of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we can build our lives on this. And we can build a church on this. So let's go for it. Amen? Why don't you stand? (laughs) Stand and pray with me together. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel. And we pray that you would be our vision. O Lord of our heart, not be all else to us, save that thou art. Thou our best thought by day and by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence our light. Jesus, would you please be our vision, be our wisdom, be our high king, you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.